This morning, we continue in our study of Galatians chapter 6. So if you have got your Bibles, please turn to Galatians 6. We will look at verse 1. Uh, essentially, I'm going to try to cover the entire section through to 10 in different uh, points that I'm making. But we will give attention to 1 through to 4 as we begin uh, the section, the session. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, as the ESV says. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each, have, for each will bear his own load. Just until there. So we are... <coughs> sorry, let me just um, go out of here. I just notice it's that one. There you go. Good. Remember that nocetic counseling <clears throat> is uh, dealing, is not only dealing with the major problems or difficulties in life, and we will get there when, when I, I get there, but it is part and parcel of the life and the vitality of the church. Unfortunately, we tend to think that counseling belongs to the professionals or to those who have a degree in counseling or to the pastors. <clears throat> We outsource the responsibility of caring for one another to someone else. When we think of counseling, we think of a person lying on a couch or a lounge suite and being asked some emotional question. How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? What would you like to have happened in your life? Which are all silly questions and not helpful in any way. In approaching this subject of uh, biblical or nothetic counseling, we have to remember that we are impacted by the world that we live in. There's not anyone here that has freed himself from the worldview of this world. We are all struggling with some element or influence upon our lives. So part one is dealing with that realignment, going from having a Christian worldview influenced by a worldview to a more biblical worldview. We are going to look at this uh, discussion today. I'm finishing off the um, discussion on the restoration. And then we'll deal with sanctification in terms of amputation, how to cut yourself off from sin or sin from yourself. And then we will deal with instilling hope for those who are struggling in hardships and afflictions. How do you go about instilling hope? And then lastly, we will deal with common problems. Now that last three points will only cover in December. No December is going to be um, busy, but we will get back to uh, nothetic counseling in December. Uh, this morning, we'll finish the discussion on the restoration process. As you can see, it's uh, number two on the um, list. What have we covered thus far? <clears throat> you see, now that's not supposed to be like that. Um, just, there you go. Introduction to Galatians 6, which is what we dealt with last time, not last week. 
Uh, we've looked at the mandate to restore. We've looked at God knows we will encounter others caught in sin. And so he provides help uh, to us as his children to um, provide help to those who are uh, struggling. We've looked at the limitation of restoration. It is only those who are spiritual. We've looked at the scope of restoration, which is all those who are spiritual. And then we looked at the need for restoration. We all have some sort of a blind spot. Sometimes the things that you are doing or you may not know that it is sin. For that reason, you need someone else to come and point it out to you. Sometimes innocent habits or desires can be sinful. Um, and so we do need to be aware of those things. So we've covered that last time. I'm not going to cover it again. I know that I gave you out a, I gave you a handout last time. And so there are a couple of points that I need to finish on there. So if you are using that, it will be slightly different because I had to convert my um, type notes to PowerPoint notes. Since load shedding is gone, I think I can go back to... <laughs> The PowerPoints, hopefully load shedding is gone. So let's begin with our next point. It, it is that God commands us to help. Take note that we are not supposed to hurt people in counseling. That is never the goal. The, the goal is never merely just to point out the error. The goal is never merely just to say that you are doing wrong. The goal is to help that believer in his struggle to conquer or overcome and have victory over the sin. Often, we feel that it is our duty to be police, spiritual police or Christian police. Brother, you should not be doing that. You can imagine a Christian with a baton in his hand. And that's where it ends. And we think we've done our duty. We think that we have counseled by just pointing out how dare you do that. That is not counseling. We are supposed to restore and not to reprimand. In reprimanding, you are just pointing out that which is wrong and you are scolding the person for doing something wrong. That is not helpful. The word is kadarizo. You can hear the word catharsis in there, um, and I'll get to the meaning of that word later. But just so that you know, it is a command in Galatians chapter 6. Now, the ESV changes the command slightly. It makes it more of a uh, suggestion. And notice what it says. If anyone, verse 1, caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of meekness. It is literally, you must restore him it's a command that is given to all those who are spiritual all those who are walking in the spirit all those who are being obedient to chapter 5 verse 16 and onwards those who understand that they are to love the lord obey his word and submit to the spirit they are supposed to take note of those believers who are struggling and they are struggling believers for instance there are those who do not know how to manage their finances as well there are those, that's a sin. There are those who do not know how to manage their household well. That is a sin. There are those who do not know how to lead their homes. That is a sin. There are those who do not know how to kill, um, not people, sins in their lives. It's a sin. 
And those of us who know of those things need to be able to have the freedom to point that out. But that's where the rub comes in. Because of our culture, we don't want people to get into, involved in our life. We don't want the quote-unquote interference of others in our lives. When saints do not know how to prioritize their lives, their calendars, and their duties, it is our duty as those who are growing and faithful to the Lord to point it out to them as a means to help them. That's the whole goal of Kararitza, and I'll get to the meaning in a moment's time. It is an imperative. This form of the imperative implies that this is an ongoing action. This is not just, you are doing wrong, brother. How is that helpful? That is just scolding him into correction, but not helping him to correction. Everyone who is spiritual, everyone who is faithful to the Lord, everyone who is growing in the grace of our Lord is commanded to pursue believers who are caught in the chains of sins. A sin, sin, sins plural. What are some real life implications for the church with regards to this command? Hey, check this book on here. <laughs> what are some real life implications? How does this affect the church? Should affect the church. Anyone? No one? Okay. I'll give you some hints. If it is a command, we should what? Obey it. If we don't obey it, we sin. Those who are spiritual, it's plural, must restore a brother who is caught in sin. What about ignoring a believer's sin because you feel like you don't have the right to get involved? What if you are not working with the Lord? Should you pursue that believer? So you may be thinking Matthew 18, when he sins against you, you go. Matthew 5, if you remember that somebody has an ought or something against you, you go. This is not that though. This is those who are faithful to the Lord. So if you are not being faithful to the Lord and you know that there's a believer that is struggling with a sin, take, the, take a believer that is walking in the Lord with you if you want to help them. If you go, you may be helping them in the flesh, meaning you may be doing something wrong. What's the meaning of this word? <clears throat> it's used of fishermen in the New Testament to restore to a former condition. There's the word right in the middle, kararitso. It is orange on my screen where you see the word mending um, that is highlighted out. The two passages that appear there both deal with a mending of a net. Matthew 4, and going on from, uh, from there, he saw two brothers, James and son, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, <clears throat> in the boat 
with Zebedee, their father, mending, restoring their nets, and he called them. That's the idea behind this word. It is a fixing, a mending, a sewing uh, together. And the same idea is seen in the next verse. Of God, very interesting, it's used slightly different. It could be used to Im, uh, imply him creating, but it's actually the word stitching. Stitching the universe together. Or in Romans 9, and I'll look at that in a moment's time, it's a fixing of a position. So um, by faith, Hebrews 11, we understand that the universe was stitched together by the word of God. That gives you a little more of a vivid picture of what is taking place rather than just created. Now it's, it's acceptable. It still gives you the idea. But when you say that he stitched it together by means of his word, it, it just gives the, the impression of God's word going out and doing what it needs to do as it, as it brings the universe uh, together. It's stitched together and it will not fall apart because he created it. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I love that because it goes back uh, to uh, creation where God speaks into existence out of nothing. The very material that is required to create things comes into existence at the point of God speaking it. That's the power of God. And But the, the point that is made in this verse is that God, it, when it is used of God, it deals with his creative power, the fact that he's able to stitch things together. Now go over to Romans chapter 9. There's a, a subcategory of meaning that is in this verse as well. Verse 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, and uh, I believe the word here that is in view is prepared beforehand, that is set in place or uh, um, set apart or fixed uh, uh, beforehand in order to make known the riches of his glory. <clears throat> Thirdly, it is used of man, so it's not only used of things, of God, but also of man. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it is used for Christian character. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Sorry that it's so small. It was much larger on the TV when I looked at it. Can somebody just adjust the, uh, whatever you call that, to make it a bit sharper? Do you know how to do that? I think it's a back. Um, this is the, that one. I, I can't see. It's still blurry to me. Okay. Um, 
so of, of Christian character, it, it deals with a virtue. Um, we are to aim for restoration, aim for uh, being united, aim for being in agreement with one another, which is explained in the last part of the verse. And then, <clears throat> so sorry, also in Galatians chapter 6, which is what we looked at here, which is a virtue of restoring another uh, uh, person. And then extra biblical material, that is the plus NT, it is used of doctors who used to stitch up wounds or to mend broken bones. That is the essential meaning of the word. And I've given you a wide scope of meaning. The, 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 the main use of the word is that red um, band. It is to restore or restoration that is in view. And so believers are responsible <clears throat> to help others by restoring them to a former state by taking the broken parts and putting it together by stitching them away from sin towards righteousness. That is what we are supposed to do. Now, yes, it may sound like that is a work of God, but God is outsourcing because he does do it through us and helps us to perform that kind of work in the lives of believers. God is desirous of us to help saints. We get back to this idea of God commands us to help. Restore, not reprimand. Cararito <clears throat> means, never means scold, scream, scowl, or sarcasm. So <clears throat> I think that's how you spell scowl, right? I'm not good in, in Afrikaans. It's a command that doesn't give us a choice. But it doesn't mean that we need to abuse that command when we see a brother falling to sin we cannot walk away in ignorance we must take responsibility it means help mend heal repair or reinstate never reprimand what is the benefit of reprimanding a believer Brandon, you don't see any? Yeah. What's the benefit in that? Yeah, why not? Just hold on to that because they want to bring the mic to you. Yeah. Um, it could hurt them. It could push them further away. Yeah. It's not restorative. In well said. It's not restorative. Go ahead. Um, just wait for the mic. Well, a benefit is it might stop. It might get them to stop the behavior, but that's behavioral modification, which is not a good thing. It's something you, you know, that they teach in parenting classes that you you you're not supposed to try and just change your kids' behavior yeah. because that doesn't really help them because they look good on the outside, but nothing's changed on well the said. inside. Good point, yeah. Uh, it may cause them to stop temporarily, but you, you're not helping them by just scolding them. You, you are merely just mending uh, um, their behavior. Was there another hand over here? <coughs> Mandla. <coughs> Mandla, you have to ask permission now. Huh? I'm just joking. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go. Sorry. I'll basically echo the same thing that he said. Uh, think it can be helpful 
because you can have a situation where someone has fallen in terms of purposes, they've lost their way, they've gone. And so the reprimand would be the thing that stops them immediately or at that point, you know, where they could have potentially hurt themselves. Okay. Right. And so it's a prelude to something, right? You can reprimand, you just stop the action and then get into, okay, restoring. How do I, but they could hurt themselves. That's a they possible could, situation. They could hurt <clears throat> themselves. Yeah. So um, I would not use a reprimand as a benefit though. Um, when you are restoring part of that, listen to the text. If anyone call, is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Reprimand doesn't carry the tone of gentleness. That, that is, you better stop right now. You know, when you're speaking to your child and he's ready to, to jump out of a tree, um, that is reprimanding them. And it may have initial benefit, but he's going to do it again. Uh, if you explain to him the, the uh, net result of jump, jumping out of a tree and the future implications of having bad knees for the rest of his life, um, he may consider not jumping and maybe falling onto his back uh, to save his knees. But uh, yeah, I don't think reprimand has any benefits. <clears throat> Restoration and personal responsibility. The responsibility is not merely to point out error, but to help them to the path of righteousness. Go over to James chapter 5. <clears throat> I know this is a disputed passage, but it's actually very clear if you understand the entire context. But just listen to what James says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, does that sound familiar? It does. And someone brings him back, does that sound familiar? It does. It's very close to what Paul says, or should I say, Paul says what is very close to what James says. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, and there the sinner is a believer from his wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That relates to a believer, and we can have the discussion whether it is a believer, because in the context here, he is speaking about those who have sinned to the point of death. And so he's saying that if you save him from that, not his soul, but you save him from physical death, you cover a multitudes of, multitude of sin. The responsibility is for those who are brothers, those who are faithful, those who are loving the Lord, those who are walking with him must take personal responsibility for those who are wandering from the path of righteousness and bring them back to the path of righteousness. I was going to say on the point of um, scolding, often pastors think that they are helping saints when they are scolding them in the pulpit. That's not how you encourage to do the right thing. I was taught to let the word of God bring the conviction. So you show them this is where we are going wrong and allow God to do the work of conviction by means of his spirit. If I am just telling you what to do without showing you in the scriptures, then I'm taking the place of the Holy Spirit who is supposed to bring about conviction in and of himself by means of the word. So secondly, the responsibility is to minister grace to the saint in need and not to mutilate them under the fast of grace. When you are just scolding, 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 
You are mutilating them under the idea or the canopy of supposed I am showing them grace. Oh, I told him. Oh, he knows that he's been corrected now. If, we, if that's all that we do, then we are not counseling. Then we are not helping, but we are hurting God's people. Let's go back in. This implies that we are not to leave believers to figure things out for themselves. Remember the spiritual blind spots? There are some of us who struggle with some quote-unquote spiritual blind spots. There are some things that has become part and parcel of our lives that we willingly overlooked or that we overlook because we don't think of it as a sin. The challenge today is that we have become so protective of our freedoms that we don't allow other believers to engage us on those issues. When we just say you need to stop and don't provide the positive element in counseling, that we are not really helping them. There needs to be both. Brother, you, you need to stop this because, have you looked at this passage? Do you understand what it means? The implication for you is that if you continue down this line, you are saying that you don't care about what God says in this verse. I, I love you and I do want to see you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but you cannot continue in sin like this. Do you know that this is a sin that you're doing? <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. If there is supposed to be personal responsibility to help others, how can we take responsibility to help others? What are some ways that we can show that we are willing or able to, to help saints? Go ahead. Oh, wait for the mic, LZ. Now you're on the recording. So you asked ways that we can show saints that we care and want to help them. Eh? Did yeah. I get the question right? So I think just going to someone and just pointing out their sin shows very little effort on your part. Like it's just, hey, I don't need to forget But if you go and you've actually looked yeah. into the word, you've found scriptures concerning that you've prayed about it, um, you know, it it's a way of showing care and affection because you've actually spent your time mm. to go and look into scriptures that talk about the sin issue that you've maybe identified yeah. in well someone's said. life. Yeah, that's one, one of my points that I had is that you take the time and the responsibility of studying that passage because maybe that believer does not know <clears throat> that there are scriptures that deal with uh, their sin. Um, was there another person? No. In this case, you are supposed to be your brother's keeper. Okay, let me move on. Restoration and irresponsibility. I'm just going to mention this. <clears throat> there are at least uh, four reasons why we don't take responsibility for believers. Ignorance of the process of re restoration or ignorance of their sin. Um, 
it could be ignorance of the believer's sin as well, meaning the, the one who's sinning. <clears throat> both parties may not really view it as a sin, and both parties may actually encourage one another in uh, uh, um, performing that sin. When I'm speaking about <clears throat> these kind of sins, I'm not thinking... <coughs> <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not thinking about the obvious sins, um, immorality, adultery, and those kind of things. These are those respectable sins that we easily overlook. Habitual anger, frustration. Um, what is it, one? Uh, what are some of the, the sins that Jerry Bridges uh, mentions that we easily overlook? Um, what is it? Laziness. <laughs> Connected to that, uh, yeah, tardiness or, um, did you want to say something? Disrespect oh, uh, uh, of someone else's time by habitually being late. That is not showing love to another believer. And I know that that is part of our culture. It's okay for most people to be late, but we don't have to be controlled by our culture. When, when church starts at 9, be here at 9. Respect the other believers to start on time. We, we easily overlook that because sometimes we participate in that sin and we are ignorant uh, in um, the process of helping and also of the sin itself. Disinterest, superficial relationships in church can lead to blindness of sin where we don't know each other, we don't know the struggles that we are facing, we can't help one another. Elders' responsibility, when you just shove it towards the elders, oh no, they need to counsel, this is not our duty. Well, I beg to differ. Both James and uh, Paul just makes a generic declaration. Brothers, in both cases, brothers. If you are walking with the Lord, take responsibility of caring enough to help believers who are struggling with certain sins. It's a blessing or a gift to the church to have believers who are growing in their faith so that those of us who are struggling can be helped when we are struggling. Whether it's being bad at time management, um, take responsibility. And then immaturity, when believers struggle with their own walk in Christ, they don't really care much about others. And so they, they are irresponsible and, and they don't consider the importance of investing in other believers' lives. <clears throat> Not only God, does God require of us to, um, to counsel and to restore, but He also gives us the manner of restoration. Look at the text again. <clears throat> Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him <clears throat> in a spirit of gentleness. There must be an attitude of meekness. The attitude of meekness is in contrast to a behavior that is harsh, that is the opposite of gentleness. When we think of meekness, we think of doormats, people just walking over you. That's not what is in view here. This is strength under control. You have the ability to slice them up with the word. 
You know the scripture in and out and you can just, you know what I mean, right? Bible bash them or browbeat them, but you approach them in a graceful, gentle, meek manner because you love them. So positively, it is going towards them with an attitude that you do not want to hurt them. Negatively, it means not being preoccupied with oneself. Meekness looks outward, not inward. There must be an attitude of meekness. The word meekness and gentleness are synonymous, and so I use it interchangeably. Gentleness looks outward, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is still in the context of restoration. You're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of the other brother. And so you, you are willing to bear his burden. Looks outward. You are doing the work of studying the scripture so that you can help them. You bear the burden on your heart as you are understanding the struggles that they are going through. And so you commit yourself to pray on their behalf and you commit them to pray when you are praying. Gentleness shows humility. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That is not gentle. That is not meekness. That is not humility. That is pride. So not only is gentleness uh, concerned about the other person, but gentleness does not look inward, does not exalt itself. And then gentleness means being considerate of others. Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of God. Main priority are those who are in God's house. Be considerate to God's people. Can you say, I don't have the gift of gentleness, and so I don't qualify for counseling? I didn't hear that. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, so you can't say that you don't have... You can't exhibit gentleness because okay. it's expected. What if somebody says, well, I don't have as much as other believers, so I don't really, I shouldn't really counsel. Is that valid? And you are right, I agree with you. It is a fruit, and therefore all believers have the fruit of gentleness. Now, some may have more measure than others, but that doesn't mean that we are off the hook. Um, for those of you who have been in a measure of counseling with me would know that I, I do lack <laughs> a little bit of gentleness. And so the Lord is refining me. My wife is helping me with, with that. But, uh, <laughs> so now you know what to pray for me, um, what to pray about for me. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 4. And notice the connection that Paul makes here as well. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So first of all, be faithful to the Lord. Commit yourself to a faithful walk with your Savior. With all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. Does that sound familiar? Very much so. It's almost an echo of Galatians chapter 5. Look at the last line. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What will break unity in the church? Pride. When you don't employ these qualities of virtues, humility, gentleness, and patience, uh, with patience, bearing with one another. When you don't bear with one another, you become short with one another. You start attacking each other, in which Galatians speaks about at the end of uh, chapter 5, where you burn each other up. You consume one another. Notice what he says, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Goes back to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, walking in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. <clears throat> the struggle to restoration, or one of the major struggles in the restoration, is a problem of pride. Sometimes we think too much of ourselves. And even in trying to help other believers, we hurt them because we are not approaching them with meekness, but in an arrogant, prideful way. <clears throat> the warning of restoration. What is my time? Sure, thank you. Okay, let me quickly go through this. I only have a few more slides. Look inward. <clears throat> you are not above failure. So in an attitude of, or in a, a spirit of gentleness, look at the last part of this one. Keeping watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Don't underestimate the sin of another believer. And then secondly, pride can be blinding. <clears throat> Verse 3. We looked at that already. If anyone thinks he is something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If you're not walking with the Lord, then you're not growing in your humility, in your gentleness, in your grace. But you are growing in your pride. When pride is present, it will hurt other believers. <clears throat> pride can be blinding. The work of restoration. So we saw look inward, now look outward. Personally restore, you go. If you're walking with the Lord, you personally go. Then protect yourself from temptation and prove that you care by bearing the load with them. You can see that in the text. <clears throat> the application of restoration, look into. So look out, uh, how did I put it? Look um, inward, personally look outward towards them and then look into. How do you do that? Ask Good questions. Don't ask hypotheticals. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Or in a month's time? That's rubbish. Don't ask questions like that. Or, or don't ask emotive questions. How does this make you feel? How is that going to help the believer? 
Aim at the heart and don't get distracted. Often believers are good at talking and distracting you from the real thing. They will give you a lot of information at one time so that you don't deal with any specific sin. Then evaluate the answers and the action or inaction. See if the answers match the action. Just because they say, you know what, I really love the Lord and I want to be faithful to the Lord, but they don't really do anything. Take note of that. A counselor does not get distracted by distracting speech. Look at their hearts. Okay. Questions to ask. What happened? What is going on? How did you get here? What were you thinking? Not what were you feeling? Why do you aim at the mind? Why are you asking questions about the mind? Listen to Proverbs 23. Verse 7. Love this verse. Verse 7. For he is one... For he is like one who inwardly, who is inwardly calculating. The, the verse literally says, for as he thinks, so he is, or so he acts. Eat and drink, he says to you, but in his heart, but his heart is not with you. The, the idea of eat and drink is, yeah, let's have fellowship. Let, let's spend time together. Now, this guy is going to stab you in the back. As he thinks, so he is. So you aim at words that will go beyond the superficial and aim at his heart. Do you think your thoughts uh, gravitate to, uh, uh, do you, I should have had no there. Do you know why your thoughts gravitate towards that or to that? Do you not think this reveals the intention of your heart? The answer is yes. You want to do it and so you pursue it. What verses speaks to your heart issues? Again, you're pointing to the reality that the actions that they are doing and the things that they are saying comes from where? Their heart. And so you want to point out Hebrews 4, says that the scripture is able to dissect that. What did you do? Don't accept, you know what? I heard somebody. No. Tell them to explain it. Tell them to name it. I stole from my brother. Or I was not respectful of his time. Don't, don't put up with superficiality where people just say, you know what? I sinned. Okay. Yeah, I sinned. Okay. What was the sin? Now, you don't need to know. Don't stop forcing me to say. You need to be able to have them confess the reality of the action. The rest you can read. What's the result now? What did you get from it? What does God expect? These are active questions. Questions that probe the heart. Questions that will drive the believer to not only think about it, but is forced to respond to the word of God. Asking hard questions is not to shame them, but to help them to see where their heart is leading them. This is how you help them. Again, 
the goal is not just to point out the error. The goal is not just to, to, to show them that they are doing wrong, but to help them to see what they are doing wrong and how they can correct it. That's why you are going to the, you should go with the, to them uh, with biblical verses. As a biblical counselor, as an authentic counselor, you need to have the scripture resident in your heart, fully um, uh, um, occupying your mind so that you're able to provide the help that they need. Any questions or comments? We'll do that next week. Yes, we have five minutes left. Anything? Why is this important? Why is restoration important? Sorry, were you still writing? I can go back. Help that guy out there. Brings about unity. Brings about unity, it's true. What else? Um, Emily. The way we love each other as believers, yeah. it demonstrates to the world what the love of Christ is like, and yeah. it's a witness to the world and well, to so each other. Yeah, it's a testimony to the world. Uh, they shall know that you are my disciples if you have love toward one another. When we don't take responsibility for other believers in their struggles, what are we communicating? We love ourselves more than we love them. That's why it's important. And it's echo of both of that. It not only breeds and uh, protects unity, but it demonstrates love. And when we don't, it demonstrates a lack of interest and love for God's people. One slide back. Just to expand, also add to what Emily said, it's the gospel is about restoration. Christ mm. came, we, are, we have all gone astray. We've all uh, wandered away from God and we need restoration. And Christ mm. came to restore us. And so exactly what, what are we saying if we will not restore our brothers yeah. When Christ came to restore us. Well said. Good point. Okay, our time is up. Uh, and this is one more point now. Okay, time is up. Let me close in a word of prayer and then we'll take a short break. Father, we are thankful to you for, as we've just heard, that Christ came and restored us. You've stitched us together. How, how do we think that we should respond to others? Uh, when you've done so much for us, Lord, we should have the same care one toward another. Help us to bear with one another. Help us to bear each other's burdens. Help us to care enough uh, to pursue one another and to help each other through the struggles that we face. We give thanks to you for your grace and for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.